The Six Pointer Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Six Pointer Podcast, the end of season special edition of the podcast, uh, end of season review for you. We are here in the Maxwell in Alpington, right by the station. We are primed with beer and uh, two fantastic gentlemen to talk with me uh, about the Palace's 21-22 season, which for me, I'm going to say, is a bit, of bl- a bit of a blur, but what is not a blur is Kevin Smith. He's back. Hey, hello, Matt. Thank you very much for inviting me to this end of season um, shindig. Really, we've had rainbows over Alpington Station. It's, it's, it's perfect. The scene is set for a review, which will be perfect. So, thank you for having me back tonight. The rainbows are out for you, Kev. Definitely. <laughs> Zippy George and Bunga be home in a minute as well. <laughs> Luke. And you are here as well. Did you bring any rainbows with you? It was it was like something out of a movie when I saw Kev across the station uh, with the rainbow behind him and that twinkling in his eyes. And he was there waving at me. He's got the boots on as well. So I saw the boots. boots on. So he's got the boots on. And I saw him waving at me, and the, the, just with the rain behind him, and it, it, it was just it was just wonderful, mate. And it, set, it, it, set, it did. It set the tone for um, a lovely half a beer we've had already. So uh, yeah, let's crack on, mate. What? I think we should finish the pod there. I think you've, you've yeah, nailed think it already. Done. Brilliant. So look, we've got um, we've got we've got a bit of an agenda tonight. We're going to talk about the seeds in the hole. Uh, going to talk about the things that we remember well from it, sort of our favourite moments if you like, um, the, the, the highs and lows as, as, as they say, um, and that will be players as well as, uh, as well as matches, and then we're going to look forward, because on this podcast we always like to be positive, look to, look to the future, and we're going to look forward to, to next season, and particularly the summer activity, and what's going to happen over the, over the coming months. So... Without further ado, well, can I just say, Matthew, you've, you've skimmed through there some brilliant ideas you have, but from some of them from our listeners, weren't they? So thank you very much to them for, for, the, for the suggestions, because we always say that you know we don't we don't shout out enough people on the pod. So uh, thanks very much um, for making this possible. Yes, that's a very good point. So thanks to everyone who has got in touch, and don't forget at Six Points Podcast on Instagram and Twitter uh, if you would like to get in touch with us. So as the music kicks in, let's kick the podcast in. <laughs> that was good when it came out. That was that good. Like that. That. Seamless, that was You're glad you came back. I'm going to cut Brilliant, brilliant. What? Joking. <laughs> He's editing me out, Kev. No, right, so, so guys, let's get into it. So I'm going to start us off with a relatively easy one, but um, an interesting one. Out of 10, going to come to you first, Kev. Rate the season out of 10. Right. It's a simple one for me, mate. It's, um, I'd, I'd rate it as an 8. You know, uh, I don't know if you want me to justify why. I do. Um, okay, show so I'll, I'll, I'll show my workings. So you always get extra marks for workings, right? So this is why it's an eight for me. Yeah. Patrick was appointed very late in the season. Let's be honest. I think you even mentioned on the last pod that we were going for Nuno at one point, and then late in the day, you know, you've only got to go back to last year's Euro Championships, and Patrick was on ITV commentating with Mr. Keane. Uh, and then all of a sudden he was coming through the Palace store, so he didn't really have time to do what was already going to be a massive rebuilding job. If you look at the fact we got 48 points, we finished 12th, and if it weren't for, let's be honest, Brighton and Newcastle having incredible last 10 games of the season, we would have been 10th. We're the only team that Manchester City didn't score against all season. We beat Man United, we beat Tottenham, we beat Arsenal, Okay. 
uh, and we got a cup semi-final. Uh, also bought in a new brand of football. There's a vibe around Sellers Park. It's exciting, and I, 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 do I need to say any more? What makes it, what would have made it a ten, Kev? I think if we beat Chelsea in that cup semi-final. Uh, if we'd turned up in the second half in that cup semi-final, it would have been pretty much a ten. I think it's as perfect as it gets for us without actually winning something. Yeah. Um, you know, we beat Man United last game of the season. That's the first time we've beaten them at Sellers Park in 31 years. And I was there when we last beat them. And that year, in 1990-91, we finished third. Um, so I think it's been a fantastic season. So I will actually, I'm going to upgrade that. I'm going to upgrade it, if I may, to a nine. I'm going to go with a nine. Piers, kick it in. Fair play, you justified a nine there. Luke? Uh, I'm going to go with seven and a half out of ten. Seven and a half eight, I think. Pushing eight, I think. Um, you think that's half, harsh, Kev? No, uh, no, 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 I don't think it's harsh. I just think your standards must be very high if that's only a seven and a half. Well, it, it, it's, it's what is a ten, then, isn't it? That, that's, that's what you're saying. So for ten for me is, yeah, winning the, like you said, Kev, winning the FA Cup or winning the Premier League is, is like... But let's face it... We're not Leicester. No, but you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's winning something, isn't yeah, it? It's winning yeah, the competition no, that you're in, I mean, sort of thing. So, Zenith Dea? Is that a ZDS? Yeah. But, so, for me, I think about... We've been very competitive this season. There's been a lot of overhaul. We, we both spoke... We all spoke in the, in the summer around, um, you know, this being a period of transformation for the club. And, you know, to finish where we did on the number of points we did, you know, it, it's been very successful. There were only a couple of games this season where I think that we didn't turn up, and that was first game of the season against Chelsea and probably the Boxing Day game. Was it Boxing Day or 28th against Tottenham yeah, away? Tottenham, where Wilf got sent off. That's right, right yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then there was obviously the frustration that we had probably more earlier on in the season, but it did sort of trickle into the, the second half of the season around sort of not being able to see out games and yep. that, that sort of, you know, the Arsenal away, Brighton at home, Newcastle at home, we should have won, I think. Um, there were a few others, I think, well, obviously the Everton game that, that just, just happened. So in terms of the game management, I think that that's what knocked it down for me, I, I guess, sort of thing. But look, it, it's been a hell of a, a positive season for Palace. It's all about, it feels like a foundation season now. And it's what happens next season which matters for me. So very pleased, very happy, enjoyed the season. Seven and a half, room for improvement. And look, let's hope we get it next season. Matthew? So I'm, I'm with Kev actually, I'm at the top end of the scale and, and I was thinking earlier about, because uh, I was like 8 or 9 and I was like what would have taken it to a 10, I'm being overcritical and harsh and I think if you look at it in isolation as the season, I'm a 10 because as some of the points you guys made, you know, massive overhaul, huge uh, player turnover in summer uh, and uh, a manager not in place until pretty much the last, last minute. So that starts you on a massive back foot already. Um, obviously, you're reliant then on Friedman's signings being the ones that the manager then who comes in can work with and make make good of. Uh, so that was a massive, you know, gamble in that to that extent. Then the way we started was was really positive, and and you guys mentioned games. I think one of you mentioned Spurs. We did, did beat Spurs. We battered them three 0 Eddie came on, scored two goals. That second half. Was fantastic so I think largely it was a really good start and then I think yeah there's been some blips there's been from some I mean I'm frustrated I remember I remember the game at home what's how much which who we played but we didn't start the striker and I was so frustrated I mean, that might be Newcastle was it I'd check this one back but I mean, there's, there's, there's been some games this season that I think could have been managed better from the outset but then also sort of 
holding on to games. But again, in the context of what it started from, and then whatever came, and we'll come on to it later on, with the cut run, you know, getting to Wembley, and finishing really, really comfortably in the league. I mean, yeah, okay, Everton away, capitulation from 2-0 up, absolute ridiculous second half, but loads of mitigated circumstances taking place for them. So, I, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to end on a nine in the context of it. In the, in the, if you take a step back and think about it in the scheme of Palace's bigger picture, maybe not as as strong and a foundational year maybe, but looking at the year alone, yeah, I'm top end. I, I remember the start of the season differently to you because obviously I remember obviously the, the, the Tottenham game but that wasn't until four games into the season I think wasn't it so there was obviously the Chelsea away 3-0 the Brentford game I felt that we should have won I think Conor Gallagher early on hit, hit the bar where it was and I, I, I felt really frustrated in that game that we should, we should have got something out of that um, but then I think we went to Watford away in the League Cup and we lost then we just came back in the second half against West Ham, the 2-2, two -two, that's when we started to show a glimpse, and then it was a 10-man, obviously, Tottenham 3-0. Um, and whilst, yeah, obviously, Tottenham were, were good, uh, under Nuno, they weren't, weren't great during that period, you know, I think, I think they won the first three games, but the way they were playing, it was they a bit... They won the first three games 1-0. That's right. And in fairness, we then beat them th three, didn't we? With, with 10 men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But, yeah, no, so, yeah, I, I remember at the start of the season being quite worried from this, because I thought, well, like, we've got an experienced manager in here, there's been a hell of a turnover, and we're what? Four games into the season, we, we haven't got, we've only got a point. I was starting to think, oh, you know, what have we done here? But then, obviously, yeah, a bit, a bit of belief in the in the team came in, um, and it all kicked on. But yeah, just to point out, I think me and you remember that start of the season differently because you remember being positive. I remember being worried. No, well, if you if you think about the start of the season as in like August, September time, I'd agree with you, brother. I'm thinking maybe up to Christmas, and then if you if you look at sort of, you're right, some difficult results to start with. But then in October, we beat Man City away two 0 yeah. We we should have beaten Arsenal away. Yeah. We let them come back into it. That was a bad one. I think we had a good game at home against Leicester. Uh, well, we was, came back on that, wasn't it? We were two 0 down, and we, we came back on that one. Yeah. There was we beat Wolves really comfortably. So I think there, there were some good results in in that first few months. I agree with you, brother. The very, the very immediate start, but again, like I said, that starting with the era coming in. What, did really it, was late. it was it a couple of weeks before the start of the season? It wasn't. It wasn't long, was it? It was late. The era was late because of, as I say, because I think, I think I remember. Nuno was pretty much almost nailed on, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. I, I think there was the Tuesday night, and then he changed his mind, didn't he, on the Tuesday night or something? And then there Tottenham. was the guy from Germany. Yeah. So again, yeah. we thought that was done. So yeah, I mean, look, that can't be helpful for anyone, can it? But but I think you know, I think we mustn't underestimate. I know we won't. Um, the impact Patrick Vieira has had on the squad, because you know, with the if you take with the exception of the unbelievable circumstances the other night when he's coming off the pitch on his own at Everton you know he's been the consummate professional in the way he's conducted himself um, the way he's conducted interviews after games I think he's been very uh, measured very pragmatic and it, it's obvious that he's got these players playing for him you know I, I, I know we'll come on to players later but I, I wasn't Unfortunately, I couldn't be there on Sunday when you guys were there. But I did. I have watched the whole game live on Sky when they replay it, and seeing actually the work rate of Conor Gallagher right up to the 90th minute when I think he balled out Eduardo when he should have passed to him. This is a guy who's going back to Chelsea, but he was still running around as if it was his first game at the Palace. And and to me, that says a lot. And that comes, I think, from you know, if you can't learn from Vieira. Who can you learn from? So I think it, the future is very, well, 
exciting potentially with what we've got coming forward. Well, let's touch touch on that because it's the important point you make, Kev, which is, and I'll be honest, I remember sitting with Luke out in um, the Shortlands Tavern, which we gave a shout to uh, in the last poll. I think I should have some sponsorship. Get a free beer. Maybe. Um, but we were sitting there in the summer and I think I quite brightly came out and I, I quite blatantly came out and said, I don't want Vera. Yeah. I'll be honest, I'm not, not going to, you know, swallow that one because I didn't want him because he didn't have any track record whatsoever. And, and But what I think that fair play to Parrish yet again is he's seen someone with credentials, he's seen someone who could do really, really well. And look, he has, like you say, professional. He's, you know, he's... Um, he's very measured and balanced in interviews he seems to respect the fans you know we've had managers who haven't bothered with the fans like Sir Pulis and others who've not interacted at all but Vieira respects the Palace fan base um, I think he's been very measured in how he's dealt with certain situations as well there's been some challenging times this year with certain player situations Czech one recently and he's, he's come out and said you know I'll deal with it you know I will talk to them but I'll do it in the right way and that, that's that's it's, it's, it's from a parish perspective thinking about it from a media background it's as much these days in the Premier League limelight that you have about how you manage your product of which Palace are one as anything else and Vieira is pump becomes part of that product management so you know I, I'm, I'm going to swallow the, the words I said I didn't want him and say I'm very grateful we got him so right on that note I'm going to pause us there for a break because I think we need a top up. We'll be back with part two of what probably will be about multiple parts of this pod. So stick with us, keep it six pointer, and up the palace. The palace. Part two. Welcome. Okay, even that bit in there. That's brilliant. I was about to say welcome back and he's done part two. Welcome back to part two of the Six Pointer Podcast, the end of season 21-22 special edition, live here from the Maxwell Orpington. It's not live though, is it? Recorded, Recorded live, live. Not, live, not edited. Kev's here, that's the main thing. Right, hey, it's live when I'm here, son, trust me. Right, so, to you again, Kev, question number two, it's like mastermind, is it? Question number two. Question number two of the, uh, of the pod is, Kevin, what is your top memory of the season? Well, Matt, mine is really, really simple. Obviously, not being a season ticket holder, I don't get to as many games. But I have to say, for me, my top memory... Now, you boys know I've had quite a tough personal year this year. But my top memory for me, actually, is going to the Cup semi-final and meeting you two boys in the Weatherspoon Arms at Baker Street. Uh, no, the Weatherspoon pub, whatever it was yeah. called. Well, not Weatherspoon Arms. I made that pub up. All right. Well, made, it was a Weather. It was a Weatherspoon's pub. I'll meet right? you there next time. Right. We had the Weatherspoon Arms, right, in Baker Street, and we had about an hour where we drank two or three beers. When Matt turned up after his holiday, looking all tanned, and we were so excited, right, about going to Wembley. There was a brilliant vibe. There was a great atmosphere. It was just before we went to Pizza Express, and it just felt good. Everyone had a real good vibe. And it was the it's the hope that would kill you. It was the excitement that we were going to Wembley and with real hope in our hearts that we could actually do a result. So it wasn't actually at the game, it was being there, being part of that experience and everything which Palace did. We've talked about a lot about Wembley and we talked a lot on that pod. But for me, that, that captured everything that was special about the season and everything that being a Palace fan is all about. The excitement, the anticipation, and then ultimately they're not quite delivering. But it yeah. didn't matter. 
But you know, you're so right, Kev. That that was it was about the day, wasn't it? Rather than the game itself. Luke's got a phrase he uses, which is "Don't let the football spoil a good day out of the football," <laughs> which is very right. And that, that day epitomised that really, didn't it? And as you say, it was the whole build up to it. I, mean, I was at home. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expose myself here a bit, not in that way. But why? In, in the in the, I was walking in my house, getting ready to, to go to the game to meet you boys. I was squealing with excitement. I was so <laughs> excited. And, and then, like you say, we, we met up and like you know had a few drinks and pints on people's heads by the time we left that place. I mean, and then and then yeah, you know, being being the the, the lively crew that we are, I went to Pizza Express. Yeah. But fair play, we had a few beers in there. Three yeah. yeah. dough balls, dough balls, had some three dough balls. Yeah. Yeah, got the app. Yeah, got the app. I don't know how to use it on this mobile phone, but you you told me about this app. I must get rid of this Nokia. You still got you still got snake though, Kev. Uh, but look, you're right, it's, the day was brilliant, Kev. So yeah, fantastic one to pick. Luke? I mean, yeah, the, the, the cup part was up. The cup semi-final was up there for me. Uh, like, I can echo everything you boys have said. Um, I mean, anyone's only got to listen to that podcast to know, to hear how excited we are. It, it's, it always makes me laugh because we recorded it in different parts. But Matthew, Matthew, Matthew losing, his, losing himself in, in, in Wembley Way, obviously, as well. Um, <laughs> I was lost, very lost. Yeah, you were lost, Matthew, you were very lost. I think that that day and that and that moment is is the pinnacle, like you say, Kevin, of, of what it means to be a Palace fan and enjoying that moment. I mean, other moments for me, whilst we weren't able to get tickets to the game, I was gutted. Was the Millwall and the FA Cup? I mean, even the draw. I mean, for years, years I've been waiting for Palace Millwall, Millwall away, and be able to go there and whatever, and and, and see us finally beat Millwall because I can't remember how many times I've been Millwall away, but. I think the only one we, we won was 2012, I want to say, 2011, 2012, um, Jermaine Easter. We won in 1990, mate, 31st of March, I was there, we sent them down. George, George and I, 1994, over a kick-off, over a kick, wasn't it? And, um, yeah, but for me, that, that's, I've been so middle so many times, so just obviously the occasion of playing them and coming back in the second half and Lise was really shining and there's a bit of an Lise theme, I think, to my, my top moments because another one that was... Great! I think it was October, uh, the two-two Leicester game. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't a victory, but I think that was the first time that season where you know we came from two 0 down, and at least they came on off the bench, didn't they? I think a half time, or was it? I think Mike done, or and and, and he scored um, almost with his first kick of the gut, kick of the kick of the, the ball, and that's when I felt you know after having that anxiety at the start of the season about. Oh, Bloody hell, you know, that's when I saw the fight in Palace. I thought, you know, we're going to be all right here because whilst we've got, you know, not a lot of experience, but, you know, we've got a lot of young passion here, you know, young players, young fight. And the fact that we came down for that and really should have won the game to be honest with you in the end, but didn't. Uh, that was the first moment I felt, I don't know, a bit of relief. Um, and, you know, everything's going to be all right. And, you know, uh, and it just, well, we kicked on from there, didn't we? And, um, that there were high and low moments, but uh, yeah, that were, those are probably two two moments for me. What about you, Matthew? Where, where, where were you? Where were you sitting on this? Well, I'm kind of cheating because I'm going to say the cup run, the whole run, the whole run was amazing. My memory, if you ask me about this season, because um, there was something special about the cup run this year for me. Yes, you say the Millwall game, you know, had that London derby piece for me. They're my they're our rivals, yeah. right? You know, I know I know that many Palace fans will say Brighton are the rivals. For me, it's Millwall. We grow up. You know, with friends who are Millwall fans or people at school Millwall fans, and that would be the competition. So, and yeah, like you say, Bob, we've struggled to, to win against them. Then there was the Hartlepool game, yeah. with everything that went with it, with regards to the 
opposition's manager and, and, and what they did for his wife and the money that Palace and Hartlepool football fans in general raised and that was football coming together for me and then that's where the programme thing started as well this is where I'm going to get really geeky on you but I love the fact that Palace did that theme of sort of taking it back with the old programmes then it was the Everton game 4-0 at home the gallery. average goals love an average goal what? gallery we, were the, we sat in the gallery didn't we that was brilliant as well yeah Bob on the tee yeah. um, another average goal another average goal <laughs> there were four goals there weren't there four goals four average goals and, and, and yeah and then like you guys have said then uh, an opportunity to go to Wembley which was a brilliant day out so that's my memory if I've got to pick one game it's really difficult probably Man City away because again, uh, we beat them two 0 and and we didn't just like you know scrap it. We 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 were really competitive. So I, I, that that's probably my game. But yeah, memory wise, I'm going to say um, I'm going to say it was the uh, oh he's taking a photo now. Here we go for all the podcast listeners. We're live. We're on the photos. So yeah, I, I think I think sort of that that's for me. The FA Cup run, the nostalgia that went with it, and everything that felt special about being a Palace fan and being in the FA Cup and and. You know, the run that we generated through that so yeah so good um, selection of memories there um, Luke I'll come to you first on this one and I haven't told you guys what this next topic is so no. I'm catching you a bit cold on this one uh, obviously we said it was a, a turnaround season for Palace a transitional season and lots of uh, players uh, changed in the summer. What was your signing of the summer? Of the season, sorry. Your signing of the season. Mark Gay. Uh, we, we've said so many times on the podcast that he's, he's, he's a Rolls Royce of a centre back. You know, it's, it's incredible to think that, you know, it was only one or two seasons at Swansea that he played on loan. Um, you know, never played a minute of Premier League football for Chelsea before we signed him. Um, you know, it shows how highly Chelsea think of him that they've got first refusal as well if Paddy's ever accept a an offer that they can, they can come back in and get him and <laughs> given their predicament you know they, they might be um, well I don't know if they could afford him who knows uh, as Palace certainly wouldn't want to let him go but that has just epitomised everything that we've needed you know obviously I really enjoyed having Gary Cahill at the club because he was he was a leader in terms of very vocal and he was a consummate professional you know I love Gaza C but Mark Gay has, has done it and he's been it speaks volumes that he won players play of the season so we obviously he's very well highly regarded within the, the club by the players um, so much so that he's been here you know a season and what was it when the, when the captain his first game I think sort of was it February or, or March he got the armband which is incredible because his age and, 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 and the number, number of games he's played and, and the time he spent in the squad and England and yeah obviously getting called up to England again today you know show, showing his class and and, and uh, I think perhaps Ebrieze can be a little bit disappointed not to get uh, called up in, in that sense. But um, yeah, for me, we've had, you know, Michael Lise obviously has, has been a, a star and I think Palace will have him for another season if, and if he continues on his upward trajectory, you know, he would perhaps potentially have outgrown the club by the end of next summer. Um, let's hope that Palace can renegotiate a contract for him to keep him happy and make sure there's not a 35 million pound release calls because someone will snap him up for that I think um, so yeah gay for me Kev I've got to agree with you mate really I think Mark has been outstanding but I think he's a 
proven winner, as you say, with what he's done at Swansea. You know, Chelsea don't let players go on first refusal unless they believe they've got something. I think he'd won as England under 17 captain, I think, under Steve Cooper. I might have got that wrong. But he's, he comes from high stock. I mean, it seemed to me a lot of money for, for an unproven player, but I think you called it early doors. You said he's a Rolls Royce, and I watched him. I was fortunate enough to come to the Brentford game, our first game of the season, when you came back very drunk from Denmark. Like that, you were very drunk that Saturday that right, morning. Yeah, yeah he was right. very drunk. You didn't go that game, but I went. I went with John Collison. Big up the JC. Um, um, and uh, you, you were struggling, because I was meant to go with you, but you were still green in the morning when you came back from Denmark. Okay. But, um, and you said he's a Rolls-Royce, this kid. And he, he was quality. I do think, I have to say, it would be wrong not to give Connor a massive shout-out, which I will come on to, I would have come on to. And actually, you, you've just done all of the ones I would have liked to have thrown in. Because actually, getting Eze back towards the end of the season, to me, feels like almost a new signing. Because in fairness, with what he's come back through, I think we're really going to see him shine again next season. Because, you know, even my mum, big up Kev's mum, she was saying that Eze, yet again, is gliding on the park again. And that's, that's quite good, because I think it took him a little while to get back into it, but I think we can really see him push on next season. And to have two exciting wingers potentially I think can be really exciting again yeah, what did your mum say gliding on the pod we need her on the pod not we, you we need, we've got the wrong Smith on the pod the here Smith on the pod you have got the wrong Smith on the pod Matt but uh, I'm sure she'd come on one day if you, if, as long as there's no technology involved she'd be all over it mate it's happening Kev's mum you're coming on the pod, <laughs> coming on the pod. guys what about Tyrick Mitchell I, I think it's a great call Matt I think he's unlucky not to get a call up today because I think he did very well in the England thing I think if I may if we can just go back on the England thing for a moment I think it's amazing if you think this season three Crystal Palace players played in the same England were picked for the same England squad. Has that ever happened before? I don't think. Has it? Three of them. Yes. Jeff Thomas. And they all played. That's right. Yeah. And they all played. Yeah. They all played in the same one. They all called up at the same time. That's what I mean. Is it ever all three played? Because that is for Palace. That is something. I don't think so, Matt. If I'm honest, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean. We've had some great signings. Matt, your thoughts? Because the, the thing with Mitchell is he kind of does what he does really quietly, really professionally. And we forget, what how many games has he played for Palace? Probably, what, 80 maybe games? I'm, I'm tops there maybe, with a cup yeah, run and top stuff top thrown top. in. Um, he looks like someone who's played hundreds of games. He's so, so confident, very rarely makes a mistake. And the fact that he played for England and played... Didn't he play most of the game as well? I think he might have played most of the game. Maybe he was just a half. He came on one game and started the next. Right, I started. That. Right, OK. So I just, I just think, yeah, I mean, wow. For someone who would, was nowhere near the team a couple of years ago. Just to pick up on what Kev, you were saying yeah. before it passes, um, about Eze. I think, like you said, we've seen a bit of a rebirth of him. Yeah. And I wonder if Palace, as a club, are not so worried about... Conor Gallagher going back now because he obviously he was such an important part of the season obviously one player of the season um, I know some people weren't happy about that being a lone player but you know he, he's, he's, you've got to base him on, on merit haven't you so his, his performance is um, fair play but with Eze coming back I wonder if that's a ready-made Gallagher replacement there um, for next season you know if Eze can sort of slip into that, slip into that Conor Gallagher role but perhaps he hasn't got that bite about him as much as Gallagher's got but you know if you, if you, if you know, the rumours are that this Decore bloke's coming in as well who, who, who can provide that bite you know you might see Eze just bear, 
be able to do sort of the attacking part of it. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think to be honest with you, I, I, my, I think my concern would be is as he's as he got the same work rate and tenacity as as Connor, which I don't think he has at this point. And, and, and as far as obviously Connor winning Player of the Year, absolutely got that for me on merits. And, and as I appreciate, I said it earlier on the pod, to see him still chasing around the way he was in the 90th minute for a guy who's going back. Um, I think says everything about what he's mostly got from coming to Palace and everything. And I think, you know, we saw it four years ago, didn't we, with Loftus-Cheek. Loftus-Cheek played himself into the England squad for the 2018 Russia World Cup by having a good season at Palace. Um, so, you know, from that point of view, it would be great if Eze could do that. I don't think he's that type of player, but I do think we will see the best in him next year. I think the thing I would just say, if I may, just going back to Max's point about uh, Mitchell, you know, look at how many good backs we've produced, you know, I know I'm sure we'll come on to Wambasaka at some point later, but you know, with players who might be becoming available, you know, you look at Nathaniel Klein, you know, he played a hundred games before he went off to Southampton and Liverpool. You look at Tyrant Mitchell as you say, how old is he? How old's Tyrant? 21, 22? Look at what he's done already. Look at, as you said, how mature he is, how composed he is. You never hear anything about him. He just does his job and he does it brilliantly. So I think, I, I don't know if that was your call, Matt, but I think he's a very good call as well. Well, for... I mean, uh, the, the obvious one is Gaye. He, for me, like, I love watching him play. And I think, not forgetting Anderson had a year of Premier League football ahead of him, I think he makes him look like someone who hasn't played. It, it, was, it was like it was the other way around. It was like Anderson hadn't played Premier League football. Mark Gaye played whole season be there fair that brother I think Anderson's grown into the season and I think he's he, he completed the most long passes yeah, was yeah, it yeah. in, in, in the really Premier League and I think he has did you see it well I was, I was a bit concerned at him at the start of the season perhaps the West Ham game I'm thinking about in particular where he was you know potentially beaten a bit too easily for the, for the two goals he's certainly grown into the season and you have to give him a notable mention because that's been a really formidable partnership at the back there yeah my point was that, that when you looked at them you, you would say that Gay was the one who played Premier League football regularly before at the start of the season but I agree with you Anna Anderson has grown into it I still, I, he's less of a um, so I was worried at the start of the season that he was kind of one touch away from an error so they were the West Ham away game if I remember rightly you know he was at fault for at least one of the goals he, he's, he's the least reliable of the two I would say but yes he's definitely grown into things I'm not being critical of him just a couple of others to make a shout to obviously JPM yep. definitely come through this year um, he was someone who I said to you, I'm not sure he's going to make it, bruv. Um, I was worried he was going to be another sore lot in terms of a gamble that Palace How is that humble pie? Again, I'll accept it, right? Um, mate, when, when someone's kicking the mill, uh, the Millwall uh, corner flag uh, and celebrating in front of their players, you know, I'll take it. Um, I think the other thing to consider is that Jeffrey Schlupp is another one that goes massively unnoticed. I mean, I'm not saying he's player of the season, underrated. but if you think about people who go under the radar, like the Mitchells, like the Schlupps, I mean, his work rate, it's about Gallagher, Schlupp's work rate is absolutely immense. And there's a reason why he gets picked in Hodgson teams, in the Vieira teams consistently, over people like Jimmy Mack. Yeah. Um, one other shout I've got, so I'm, I'm with you on the gay player of the season. I think Gallagher also up there, and rightly so, got it from the Palace perspective. Someone again, I think, just also deserves a shout, but not not from a player of season perspective, from a sort of a becoming a bit of a cult. Is Will Hughes? Will Hughes. So he's got the whole Hughesy charm. He's got the thunder in him. He's got the fire. He's got the passion, and he's made a connection with fans, which is really nice to see. 
and he's had a bit of a journey, I think, at Palace this season, in the sense that he was, I think it was quite well publicised that he was a Freeman signing, and, and there were rumours that Vieira didn't fancy him at the start, I think, and it did take him a while to break into the team, didn't couldn't it? Get the team, could he? No, he couldn't, couldn't get in the team for a while. Um, but then, like you say, he, he did have a, a couple of games, a run of games, um, and he is. I mean, look, I'm sure we're talking about out, out, outgoings in a go, but I think he's 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 a Luka Milivojevic replacement, isn't he, in, in terms of that position in the squad. He looks um, like he's enjoying it, doesn't he? He does. He, to he, me, he, he looks as though he's enjoying it when he's on the pitch. And he, he, he I, I don't know, you know, you, you, you guys are there week in, week out, but he looks as though when he's playing with Connor, he's talking to him and, you know, a bit like Jimmy Mack does it. Or it that's my perception. When you're looking at it, they, they seem to work very well as a... There's a little combination in there, like, you know, and he almost bites your legs, sort of knobby style, stylish, back in the old days. But it's work right again, isn't it? It's what football fans want to see in your, in your, player, in your players. And I think one last shout for me is Jordan Ayew. Yeah. Just for the effort the guy puts in. Again, you know, he gets... Under I think he does. I think he misunderstood as well. I think as well for the role he plays in the team. I mean, guys, you guys show me the stats about passes and fouls and Zahar and blah, blah, blah. I'd love to see the, the, the amount of free kicks that Jordan Ayew wins in the final third of that pitch because he's just such a release for you know a difficult period or to get on the pitch and I think massively underrated and under the radar and again there's a reason why he gets in Hodgson's teams and the Aries team so we talked about that didn't we uh, particularly I think Matt on the day when you couldn't go to the Arsenal game and we, we talked when we did the, the pod after the game on that night some of the free kicks he won and yeah. just his strength and then you know let's be honest he scored but well, let's be honest it was one of our nicest goals Stunned of the season down. with the way he almost sort of bent it round Ramsdale which was uh, let's be honest one of the best first halves we've seen for a long time right? Matthew you, you, you touched him there and it's amazing he's not come up he touched who? touched on who, him who, oh he touched it I thought you said you touched him <laughs> now that you know and it's amazing that we're actually not talking about him given that he scored 14 Premier League goals this season well, Wilfred Zahar I think I think we we've become blind or a bit immune to, to him and look he obviously had a blip on on Boxing Day as well over Christmas the Christmas break with the, the, the Tottenham game and that was a low point for Wilf. Um, obviously went off to Afcon and, and and sort of came back but he has been outstanding especially when you when you take into account that he didn't play for January and you know a couple of weeks of February wasn't involved in that Millwall game wasn't involved in the heart the pool game I'm going to say he would have been away for that one as well but back for the next one um, absolutely Stan, when was the last time a Palace player scored 14 oh, goals? Is, it, is, it, is it Andrew Johnson when he, when he scored that yeah there was a penalty link there isn't there because Zaha's chipping in penalties as well this year yes, yes, it's a difference. I think you're right bro. I think, I think we have become accustomed to him we're very fortunate to have someone who can do one thing I'm going to say this is a bit controversial maybe in some ways but I found that he is reacting more and more and more to the treatment he gets. Now, is that because he's getting a worse treatment? I mean, he gets fouled left front and centre, it's ridiculous. And I think he gets quite angry, doesn't he, because the referee doesn't deal with the situations. But have you guys noticed that? An increase in his reactions to things? I think he's playing up to it more, whether that may be to make sure the referee is aware of the situation. But also, I think Will Fields feeds off that. You know, he loves the fans hating him he, he becomes the pantomime villain doesn't he in most away games um, and I think he feeds off it yeah I think the thing is I mean I think there's a good point Matt I mean if we can just go back to Boxing Day him getting sent off against Tottenham I think you know 
rightly or wrongly, you know, we all know how we felt on that day because it, you know, it put us in a difficult position. It was, it was, you know, and I think we all said at that time, when's he going to grow up? You know, he's 29, whatever it was. But I think going away to the African Cup, you know, it's it's no surprise that the third round of the FA Cup was in the January. Elise scores, um, obviously JPM scores. I felt he came back, rightly or wrongly, A, with a point to prove, but also some of the pressure was off him. So I actually thought, if I'm honest, Matt, for the first few months, he didn't react. He seemed to have played with a smile on his face and maybe the pressure was off him, I felt, a little bit. And he seemed to then get better and better. I think he has reacted a bit more recently, but when you look at the stats, I think he's been fouled about 20 times more than anyone else in the Premier League. He's, he's, he's well over 100 fouls, and I think the closest to that is about 81. You know, it's not even close. Um, so, you know, he has a right to. I think he's starting to lose that reputation a little bit. You know, if you go back two or three seasons, wouldn't it? when we were, you know, penalties, it was always, oh, he's going down too easy for a penalty. I think he gets more more now than he used to do. So I, I just think he's been, I think he's been great. I think, you know, I'm assuming there's not going to be any pressure on him going. I'm, I, I, I feel as though he seems more comfortable at the moment in Palace. I don't know. It's almost as if he's accepted this is, this is it now. And quite rightly, he is and can be an absolute legend for the rest of his life if that's what he wants. So there, there was rumours at the start of the season that the, him, him and Vieira were, had a bit of a, not a falling out, but weren't seeing eye to eye at one point. Um, whether that be just you know, a new manager coming in and stamping his authority on things and Wolf not lighting it, or who knows, you know, it's difficult to know without, without being privy to what was happening on the training ground. And there was the game we got substituted, I remember, at Selhurst and it wasn't a game that we ended up winning as well, which was sort of like a bit strange that you take your best player off the pitch when you know, you're know you trying to win the game. But then there was the goal he scored where he had the embrace of Vieira. Uh, was that Norwich? Was that Norwich? Yeah, Norwich goal, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it was almost like a public display of, you know, I mean, the sort of thing. And things have gone up since then, you know, that's, he, he's, he's finished the season really strong. Just to Kev's point about previous, like, bad press and, like, I think you were kind of mentioning the sort of, people used to call him a diver. Yeah. I wonder if VAR has helped there, yeah, yeah. because in 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 a sense, if he does, if he was to dive, he'd get caught out. Yeah. If he's found in the penny box, they look at it a number of times and they prove it's a foul. So I actually wonder if that's helped him in that respect. Yeah. It's proven that he's not a diver. Well, well, I would say, Matt, I think you're absolutely right, and I think if we'd had VAR in 2005. Andy Johnson would have mostly got four or five more penalties and we would have stayed up, we would never have gone down and then we'd have never had this 10-year new run. Let's be honest, next year is our 10th season, 10th season in a row in the Premier League, which is just unprecedented for us. So, you know, but you're right, I, I think VAR has mostly helped Wilf because actually, you know, VAR generally, they've got it right this season, they don't really lie. Well, get apart, it apart from Liverpool, Liverpool at home, obviously. Liverpool at home, yeah. Look, no, we're talking about season, right? So I want to ask you guys this about VAR. Has it now become part of the game? Is it now part of just the fabric of what we go and watch or what we, what, or what we go and watch in the stadium, what we watch on telly? Because before, do you remember the reactions in the stadiums and like it was a massive delay? Now, do you think it's different? This will be interesting because, you know, obviously, I want to talk to Kev about, obviously, because you, you, you've watched a lot more games on TV than I have. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the in-stadium experience still needs to be improved because there's too many times where I'm like, What's going on? Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. It's not communicated well enough. 
Yeah. Uh, and whilst you know afterwards, because of the name on the screen, things like that, the, the, the introduction, things like that, I think it's helped. I still think it's very much geared towards people watching at home. Okay? Yeah. No, I, I, th I think that's a good point, mate. I think you make a real point because I've been at I've been at Sellers a few times with you guys, and we've all looked at each other as if to say, "What the bloody hell's going on? Does anyone know?" But I think that was more early VAR. I think I think the one dis I think VAR's got VAR's got a lot more right this year, personally. Obviously, I think the one thing which I'm still really disappointed with is whenever they send the referee to the monitor, the monitor, uh, the referee always change overrides his decision. No one has had the confidence and again we're not saying this because it's Liverpool that third goal against Liverpool at Sellers Park this season was an absolute joke and that's not because it's Palace you know the reality they still would have beaten us they were 2-1 up but that he got that decision wrong and if if just one referee I can't even think of the referee was had had the courage to say do you know what I'm going to stick by my decision because it was it was it was a wrong decision so I, I do think yeah you're right it's a different experience I think if you're at home but you know the minute they go to the monitor well, don't even bother because you know what's coming. I wonder if there's something about the reason that I'm in the stadium and I don't uh, don't think that VI is, 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 is the finished article yet. It's because of that exact thing, Kev, because there's someone not in a stadium watching this game and they're making decisions. And it's, I don't know if it takes... It, well, it does. It does. It takes, it, it takes the authority away from the referee, the man on the pitch. And the referee should, on the man on the pitch should be the one with the final say. And like you say, Kev, if, if they're tending to go to the TV screen, no one's had the bollocks yet to overrule it. Yeah. And until you get that, there's always going to be a, an undercurrent of this bloke in the middle can be not manipulated, but you know he's, he he hasn't got the final say, which is wrong. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I come back to as long as it's the right decision, I don't mind. Um, I was always a bit kind of um, what's the term? Not apprehensive, but I wasn't sure how it would go down in stadiums in terms of the gap and like waiting to know what's going on. I think you're right. I remember that it's got better. It's got yeah. quicker. It's got better. And I, and I think largely they get it right. And at the end of the day, that's what I want. I want the right outcome in the game, whatever, whatever I say. And I think that's why I asked about the hard point because I long believed he wasn't a diver. No. And I long believed he was fouled consistently, but he wasn't getting enough treatment and support from the referee and I think now in the box anyway he does yeah I, th I think you're right Matt I think you're absolutely right and um, you know I'm fair play because as you say you know we've talked about this we've scored 14 goals this season and we and I think that's mostly credit to how far Palace have come that we're not focusing on Will yeah. he's been integral to the success of Palace this season but in a nice way we're mostly putting four or five players not in front of him but because he's now become you know we're stronger together with Wilf in that, and whereas previously it was it was about if it weren't Wilf, you know, you very rarely hear people say now on oh, Palace don't win a game without Wilf's at heart, which we had two seasons yeah, ago. Yeah, well, right. the team sheet, we, we think, oh well, I'll, I'll draw hopefully. There's an interesting point there, Kev, in the sense, obviously, in, in the context of his contract being up in the summer, next summer, sorry, yeah. and this potentially being the last opportunity that Palace can cash in now, and the fact that. You know, we have got other players in the squad who can make differences. To Crystal Palace now, is Wilfred Sahar disposable this summer? I mean, look, it seems straight. It seems yeah. crazy to say, but it, I think it's it, it's something worth thinking about because you know we're, we're we're at a stage now where realistically, you know, if someone were to come in with some money this summer, Palace would have a very big decision to make. Okay, so I I think that's a real good point. So the question I ask you then, Luke, how much money would it take? to be offered 
the Crystal Palace to re, uh, to let Wilf leave this summer. And I I don't want to advocate that I want that to happen, but if 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 you're Steve Parish and you're like looking at the numbers, what does it need to be for an offer to come in? I think we all know what two or three years ago Everton came in with big money, you know, plus whatever, and it was I think it was rumoured around about 60 million with players at that point. What would it need now to you to let a 14 goal Premier League scorer go? Who's let's be honest, in his pretty much in his prime. I mean, there should be statues of the man, no matter what happens with his career. I think yeah. uh, outside sellers, but, but how much? In the context of him, um, his, his contract Arsenal being paid 17 million for Pepe. Well, they did, but they only offered 40 million for Wilfred Zahar. Wilfred Zahar is only worth what someone's willing to pay for him. So Everton but rumouredly were, were, were up for 60 million, but that was two, se- two, I think was it, two seasons ago, maybe it was like that. So that, that obviously in the context of, of Arsenal offering 40, Everton offering about 60, one year less of the deal. If someone came in this summer with 40 million pounds, I honestly think Crystal Palace would accept it. I don't think they should, but I honestly think they would. Because from a business point of view, Palace rebuilt the squad with 65 million pounds this summer. If you're coming around and one someone someone's offering you forty million pounds, so you know two thirds of what you, you use to to rebuild the squad in the summer for one player, who who you may let let you lose for free next summer. Okay, I think they might take it. So I'm sorry, Matt, to cut in just. Quickly. I don't think they should. Sorry, no, no. but I, that's what no, I think no, no. will happen. Well, I want to get Matt's numbers on it in a minute, but Harry Kane, I think, was what, what was it rumored last year? Hundred million, hundred and twenty million from Man City. Now, I appreciate we're not comparing apples with apples, but similar age, right? Harry Kane, what's Harry Kane, 29? Yeah, something like that, yeah. And Will Swap, 29, 30? 29? So, Matt, what would what would it take for you to, if you're Steve Parrish, how much does it need for you to let Will Ridd Zahar go? So I think he's priceless to Chris Palace. I don't, I don't think they can afford to sell him for the fact that he is Crystal Palace. He's everything that, as you said, about 10 years in the Premier League, Kev. He's been there for that period, by a little stint at the right at the start, and even then he came back on loan, didn't he, afterwards? Um, I, th- I think the Palace cannot ever replace him. They can never buy another Wolf Sahar. You guys joked about a statue. He's up there. He's the best player that's ever played for Crystal Palace. If Palace ever sell him, it's a mistake. That guy should be kept on a contract until he gives it up. And I strongly believe, by the way, that's what happened. So, so, so you lose him. You lose him for nothing next summer, basically. If I don't think he will. This is my point, Bob. I don't think he'll go. I think they'll they'll agree a deal good enough that he'll keep him there. I cannot see him going anywhere and getting the love, the the support that he does from the fan base. Getting the uh, something we we had to give a lot of. Um, it's been give and take with Will, hasn't there? You guys mentioned the the Tottenham game. I always think back to the Southampton away game when he got sent off for clapping the ref, right? Now, another player would have got absolutely ripped for that. Wolf didn't get anything. He got absolutely... Come on, bruv. He got adoration the next day next, and exactly as he normally does. And I, I think... So, so, so to answer your question directly, Kev, there's not a penny in the world, a pound in the world you can give that means that he's worth Palace selling. However, if Palace are forced to sell him, don't know, market value, whatever that is. And as you say, Harry Kane's worth X. I wonder, you have, to, you have to wonder, that obviously John Texas came in last summer and, get, and basically funded the rebuild of £65 million. 
maybe you know as a, as a businessman he's thought okay so I spend 65 million this summer I can recoup some of that through the sale of Wilfred Zahar if he's not going to sign a new deal you know you, you don't know how, how, what the, sort of the business ideas are behind this because he's going to want to re- recoup some of his money he's a businessman that, that's the thing though that's why Kev's point about Harry Kane's important Harry Kane's probably on a five year contract is he not if Zahar's on a one year contract he's not worth anything near that and that's the challenge Palace will have and that's why I think they'll tie him down and that's why I think we're going to have a break a beer and a beer so stick with us back for part three up the Palace up the Palace the Palace Hello and welcome back to part three oh, of the Six Point Podcast. <laughs> it's our new thing, isn't it, bruv? Uh, we are fueled, refueled with uh, fresh pints and, credit to Kev, three bags of crisps. What we got here, Kev? We've got beef and mustard and turkey, isn't it? Turkey, Even a dream. <laughs> so if you're as crunchy in the background, you know why. So look, in the last part we talked about, uh, you know, what, what we sort of thought special about the, the last season. And who we thought was special, I don't like to do negative stuff, but I'm going to start us off with one, because it's quite a challenge actually to think about it. We talked about the best signing. Was there a worst signing? Are we going to Kev first, actually? Oh, that, that, that's really harsh. I can't believe you're coming to me first. To be honest with you, Matt, you being the consummate professional, you had sent out an agenda 24 hours before, and I'm Did thinking... You? We well, did, and then you argue, you argued about the agenda, and then wanted to add other stuff in. But your brother said no. We could cover that in AOB if I'm not if I recall. Um, and I must admit, I was struggling to think of worse signing now, because I, I agree with you, Matt. I, I don't think there's been too many negatives, so it, it's I'm, I'm, I would struggle with my knowledge to know who we bought in who hasn't really materialised and come on. I think if if I can, I'm gonna flex it slightly if you don't mind Matt and obviously as the chair you can always overrule this Um, but a player I feel most sorry for so I'm going to switch it slightly is I feel really sorry for Ferguson because I still feel yes I know he came in a few years ago but we've not had chance to see this young man and what he must be going through um, and and I mean this sincerely you know, you've had Calvert-Lewin come out yesterday from Everton talk about the mental health impact he's had this year and credit to him for what he did. And, and, you know, I never want to see anyone score a winning goal against Palace, but fair play to him in light of what's happened for him and really respect him for what he said because it, it's not easy. No one knows what's going on in no one's head. What that young man must have gone through in the last two years as he battles back, tries to do it, you know, and sometimes he's going to be the butt of jokes of, oh, is he ever going to play, is he ever going to play? So, I know I've not answered your question, Matt, but I, when I thought about it today, that's really where I came up with, and it's not, it's not so much as a signing, it's just a young man who hasn't really had the opportunity to show what he was, because let's be honest, at West Brom, he was outstanding, and I just hope, I really hope, he gets himself in a position where he can play and be uh, a good acquisition for Crystal Palace next season. Because again, a bit like Eze, if he can get fit, it could be a, a, a phenomenal brand new signing. And let's be honest, because that's what he will be. Sorry. I mean, it, it, it's, there's not anyone I think that you can say has had a poor season or you know, it's been a bad signing. 
Um, I think not not that he's not done well, but he set a very high bar for himself in his first game was Oz and Edward. Coming coming off the bench, scoring two goals. I mean, continued on good form by scoring away at Arsenal. I mean, really scored a good goal there. A little purple patch, didn't he? And then I think uh, lost his place in the team. Coincided with Jean-Philippe Mateta obviously having his run where we were, you know, in a period of um, COVID um, isolations and you know general injuries as well. As you sort of tend to hit that part in the in the middle of. January. And let's not forget, Jean-Philippe Mateta was, you know, in December time, was rumoured to be gone, you know, yeah. signed for Saint-Étienne. And so, yeah. credit him for what he's done. Obviously, he got his opportunity. I still feel that, you know, people like Alexander Serlot, they've been given a run and the team might have, might have had that opportunity. But, look, I, I, by no means is he, is he been a, a bad sign-in. But I think that he, he set the bar so high... He hasn't had a consistent run in the team after he first broke through, which has hindered his opportunities. And I don't know where he fits in in the team. I think I said to you, Matthew, on the weekend, I think I'd like to see Eddie partnered with someone up front, but it's not necessarily the, 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 sort of the, the system we play. Um, I don't know. I, I feel he's wasted a little bit out on the wing. I mean, I understand it because he's got really good close control and he's quick and he's tricky. He's really good with his feet. He's never quite cut it as a... a a lone centre back, centre forward for me. So I don't know where he fits, if I'm honest. Um, and if I'm on some Woodward, I'm perhaps a little bit worried worried about that. If I'm honest, what about you, bro? Well, if I'm the crisps, I'm worried. The way Kev is absolutely not. They're all gone. <laughs> where <are> they gone? <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have spoken as long as you did. Bloody hell! You're going on for so long about <laughs> Edward. I thought I might as well film me. Kevin's face is one big crisp right now. Look. <laughs> you have dinner. I bought them. <laughs> I was like, that is it, alright. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not worried about Edward, I'm worried about whatever these things are. Yeah. Oh, goodness me, they're horrible. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I, 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 yeah, you know, what, not a worse signing, but I think someone who hasn't maybe kicked on as I thought he was going to was Edward, yeah. I think when he came on against Tottenham, obviously two goals. In quick succession, as you say, the Arsenal goal. I just think, generally, that contribution, that early contribution was strong, and we really thought. You know, when we signed him, we were really excited. And I think that initial kick on was was positive. I just don't think he's taken it to the next level since then. Has he given an opportunity to the rugby? I think has been well, given the one. I was thinking about this actually. In the the one position or set of positions that Palace have not been settled so much on this year is the striking position. So Ben had a bit of a go, Mateta had a bit of a go, Edwards had a bit of a go, Wolves played up there at time. Ayu's drifted in and out of the wing and in the middle. So. You know, fair play to him. I'm not. This is not being critical, but he's the one who I think could have pushed on. And you know, look, what a nice problem to have. But hopefully next year we can push on as well. And he's still got the Bentekes there. He's still got the Zahars, the IUs, Matetas, as far as you know it. Um, so yeah, not a worse signing, but the one who could have could have done it more maybe. So look, guys, the second to last, the penultimate topic, and we've touched on a little bit of this earlier already, but I'm interested to see what you think. Your favourite game of the season? Who wants to go first this time? Kev's nodding, so Kev's going first. Yeah. I'm going to stop eating crisps for a few seconds. And, uh, and you know, I've only been to a few games, as you know. Don't get up as many. But unfortunately, Matt, when you were on, you were away, you very kindly let me have your season ticket with your brother. And I went to the Arsenal game. Uh, Arsenal at Sellers Park, for me, um, was a fantastic game. Um, a, because I was there. 
from my point of view. But actually, the way Palace played, I think Arsenal came into that game having won five on the spin. And we absolutely played them off the park. Um, obviously, me and Luke did the pod that night after the game, and it was quite quick. Um, and we, we, you know, we were quite succinct in what we talked about. But Palace didn't let Arsenal settle that night. Um, and we made a very good Arsenal side look very ordinary that night. We scored a couple of fantastic goals, um, particularly in the first half, and then you know cemented that in the second half with a with a third goal. And we you know we were comfortable three 0 winners. And for us to say that, bearing in mind this Arsenal team, with greatest respect, really should have qualified for the Champions League. I know they got beat at Tottenham and then capitulated at Newcastle last Monday, but this is a good Arsenal side, and we made them look incredibly ordinary that day, uh, and we and we looked really, really good. So it was a good game, um, and it was lovely to be there on that Monday night on in April. So I'm going to I'm going to repeat history a bit here, a bit like the jukebox scene here, because it's repeating the same song. But um, Kev, can I give you a, ask you a question, right? A comparative question. I'm, I'm going to skip. I'm going to cut to Luke in a minute. I'm skipping for now. That Arsenal game you mentioned, I, mean, I watched that. I was in Tenerife, like you said, I couldn't go. Uh, poor from me, I should have come back over. Should you should have, you should have, really. Lack of commitment, really. I'm glad but, you didn't, man. <laughs> but, but that first half was fantastic. Compare that game to the game that we beat them. Was it 3 1 when Kabai scored that goal and up and over the top? Yeah. Which was the better game? Oh, it's a good one. Um, I suppose the game in which Kabai scored was more important because we needed the points. Uh, and obviously it was still Arsene Wenger, in my opinion, when Arsenal was still a really top side. This is not an Arsenal that's a top side, this is an Arsenal that's, to me, still growing and, and becoming a good side, and they will become a very good side. Um, so I think they're completely different sides in that context. I think the importance was the one when Kabai and I think uh, Milivojevic scored a penalty that yeah 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 Lucas, yeah, Lucas scored that day as well um, but that was against I think a good Arsene Wenger side but having said that this was against a Mikel Arteta side which had won five on the spin and came to us full of confidence and let's be honest I think we then set the blueprint that night of how teams had to play against Arsenal and I think other teams have done that since us um, so for me I'm going to actually say this one, uh, purely because the quality of the goals we scored and the way we we just didn't let them settle. You know, you had Saka who was working really hard, but ultimately they didn't really lay a glove on us that night. And um, so yeah, that that's one for me, mate. Very good, very good. Luke, this season for you. I don't want to repeat myself because I, I appreciate that I've mentioned two games already that I've really enjoyed. So that was the Leicester home game, Millwall away game. So I'm racking my brains. I think there's only other two two of the games that I've attended that come close and I think what's going to pivot it for me is the Norwich game the 3-0 and I'm not, I haven't become accustomed to Palace winning 3-0 in the Premier League you know <laughs> yeah it's not something I'm used to so and what I liked about the game was that I don't think we were necessarily very good but we were very clinical and we we, we dispatched the team we dispatched the opposition clinically you know, we had, we had the three opportunities, boom, 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 took them and then saw the game out. And that was the sort of performance that I like to see because too many times this season we, we hadn't seen that game out. So to get in that position and then, you know, keep a clean sheet, the only other one that comes close is Everton at home, the 4-0. Uh, the whole sort of context of the FA Cup and sitting in the gallery and having a bother and 
Yeah. <laughs> was it the Bovril or the 4 0 win? Close, but it's just about the win. It's just about yeah, the win. Yeah, the Bovril was decent. Or was it Frank's um, unhappiness with the average goals? No, it was definitely the Bovril. The Bovril. Made, made, made Frank's tears taste even better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was obviously, you know, the whole context of it being the FA Cup and the run and that. But yeah, I think. As, as moment, as, as game of the season for me and, and performance, and that was it was um, yeah Norwich for me. There's some good ones, aren't there, this year to pick yeah. from? Like I mentioned Man Spoiler City choice. away, Man City away, where they were scoring goals for fun, and we didn't concede against them, and we scored two against them. I think if we hadn't had the Andros Townsend wonder goal game a few years before that, we'd probably be heralding that as yeah. a real great one. I think Luke just mentioned the four new Everton. I really enjoyed that one. I enjoyed the Millwall game, particularly the second half. I mean, that was, I mean, we, were, we didn't get a chance to go because we didn't have enough points and we didn't get in there in time. But I, I enjoyed that one to watch the Palace fan. And it was dry January. It was, a, it was wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Oh, good, you've got good memory. I don't know, I, I think maybe, maybe the Man City game because I mean, it kicked things off for us. But it, I, I enjoyed some of the sort of the. Well, I didn't enjoy the way we threw away the Arsenal game, but I enjoyed the way we were very close to beating them all at yeah. the Emirates as yeah. well. That was quite good. So. Yeah, Everton 4-0 probably for me if I have to be called on it, but some really enjoyable games as well this year. Yeah. What about the Tottenham game, guys? 3-0 at home. Just out of interest, the 3-0 at home, because obviously it's not often that a, a debutant comes on and scores with pretty much his first or second touch. And yeah, then... It was just crazy, wasn't it? Because it was like he was on all of a sudden, yeah, he scored straight away. It was, it was kind of laughable in some ways. It still had that hazy days feeling for me, you know, of like summer. You know, it was September, wasn't it? Yeah, it was September. Yeah, and, 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 you know, obviously the sun was there, it was a warm day. Um, it, they had one of their players was sent off, wasn't they? One of their yeah, defenders was sent right. off. Yeah, it, it still, it still was bullying him. It was funny. It yeah. still didn't feel real to me. It sort of felt like a bit of a a dream, a little bit. Would well, you know what was special in that game was the amount of shots we had? I think we had like twenty shots on target, and they had like a couple. Oh, sorry, no, twenty shots and they had a couple. And I think you know, we had, we had a bunch on target. Yeah, you know, it's good to more crisp. But I think I think <laughs> um, I think I think that, that, <laughs> you. <laughs> I think that was a that was a good game, wasn't it? And also, it was still that sort of that end of summer sun was out as yeah. well. It's also something special about Palace now. It was, it was, it was on Sky. It was a Sunday, wasn't it? It's Sunday. No, I mean, yeah. it's an early one. No, it's a Saturday. It's an early kickoff. You clowns. Was it? Yeah. I think you're on there, Kev. I think I'm not. Matthew's going to check. Saturday, the 11th of September, and I'm trying to find the kickoff time, Kev. So look, that's the season just gone. Let's look forward, right? Now, it's not the same position as last year where we had major surgery to do over the, over the summer with the squad and the team and, and so on and so forth. But you know, there are some people who might likely move on. We know Martin Kelly has finished his contract moving on. That's a really solid backup centre-back that we've lost. Maybe let's he left back as well? He left back as well, wasn't he? Who did play with Which areas of the team, Kev, come to you first as always, which areas of the team and, and any suggestions for who you would bring in? Oh, it's a tough one, Matt. Um, I, I'm assuming, and again, I might have misunderstood this, but I think Luca might be moving on, possibly. I think he's possibly got an Maybe offer from, from one of his old clubs, um, and he might be going away on a three-year deal, I think. So that will be sad if Luca goes. I don't think, you know, I think obviously Luca hasn't really had a mention much this year, but let's not forget what a good club captain he was and how many penalties he scored in on the spin all those years well not all those years ago a few years ago um, so I think we need to strengthen in midfield obviously for me 
Uh, I know I've said it a few times already previously, but obviously with Connor going back to Chelsea, I think that does change. I mean, we saw that in the FA Cup semi-final. You know, when you take Connor out of our team, you haven't got someone who's pressing in that way. So I think, you know, obviously no one knows quite what the position is with Chelsea at the moment, but hopefully, um, yes, I know Tuchel wants him back for pre-season at Cobham, but I'd love to think that if he's not going to get there, he would want to come back to Palace, which I think was something similar that Loftus-Cheek did, didn't he, really? So he came back. So I'd love to think that might be an option. Um, but I think we need to strengthen in that area. I think uh, I think you said Jimmy Mack has re-signed or is looking to re-sign. And that's good news. Um, but Jimmy Mack, obviously, towards the back end of his career, in fairness. So I think we need to bring in some quality there. Um, I'm mostly going to ask you to come back to me, Matt thinking about who the players might be who should be coming in but they're, they're the areas I think we need to strengthen I think you've already touched on it earlier that we possibly need a, a centre forward I mean we, we, we did say earlier we've scored 14 goals you know can't remember when that last happened I think you said it was AJ we need someone who can get us 15 goals I mean Benteke got 16 what four or five years ago we need someone who can comfortably put in 10 goals and I think as both of you boys have said it's the one position last season where we weren't 100% comfortable and I think we need somewhere and I think JPM's done brilliant and I'm, I'm, I'm with you Luke I thought he was out the door in January uh, and I think the Millwall game was a turning point for him if I'm honest um, so let, let's see you know Edward we've talked about hasn't really had that run so I don't know I mean I think we're in a much better position as you've already said Matt than we were last year um, but I would still like to see a strengthen. Um, but okay, no, where are no. going to for these players? Are you thinking about like Palace done last couple of years, which is investing in youth yeah. and taking a gamble, like on the likes of Elise, say? Or are you thinking about them going abroad and buying the you know, more rounded players? Oh, that's a good question, Matt. Um, I think youth has proved to be successful for us this season, uh, and I think with the money that has been invested by the club in the academy and everything. Um, I'd like to think we could do homegrown, um, but but you've got to give them the opportunity, haven't you? Um, I think you guys were there on Sunday when, forgive me if I've pronounced a young gentleman's name, Raksaki uh, had a good game. He looked, he didn't look out of his depth. I know it wasn't a great Man United side he was playing against, but he didn't look out of his depth, and they were still Man United. So I'd like to think it could come from within. Um, most you don't know enough about where the quality is elsewhere. Um, I, it's mostly the first season, Matt, I'm looking at our squad thinking, do you know what, if there's not a massive overhaul, I'm not worried because I think we've got enough about us. And, and again, for me, you know, we said it earlier, next season's our 10th season. That's crazy for Palace. And if you think, you know, we all know where we were 12 years ago when we did the charity game, when we were in administration, you know, to think we've, we will start our 10th season in the Premier League is just is nuts. So I'm, I'm quite comfortable with where we are. And, you know, as much as our dear friends at Charlton didn't like mediocrity of mid-season uh, or mid-table, I'll take it. Because if we can get that and a decent cup run again, to me it will be another 8 or 9 out of 10. So that, that's it for me. Steve Parrish once said that, you know, in the Premier League and in football in general, if you're not, um, you're not improving, you're, you're, you're standing still. Um, so I think you've got to, like you say, methodically look at what our squad is going to lose in the summer. 
And like Kev rightly says, Luka Milivojevic is rumoured to be going to Olympiacos for £3.5 million, which is a great deal for them, given I think they paid £3 million from Antwerp, sold him for £10 million, and they're buying him back for three and a half. So, you know, he'd do very well in, in the Champions League, Europa League, or, or you know, in, 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 the, in the Greek League as well for them. Uh, but here are coming home for them. Uh, Kev, I also want to touch on how good he has been for Crystal Palace. Yeah, you know, yeah, signed absolutely. in in 2016, 2017 by Sam Allardyce. Apparently, well, Palace under Dougie Freeman had been looking at him for a while. Um, he has been a, a a great servant for the club, a scorer of very important goals. Obviously, a lot of penalties, but also, you know, some great goals, great goals for Palace. I, I think of um, away at Southampton, that that goal from the edge of the box that, that won us that game in that important season. Um, and let's not forget whilst he hasn't featured so much in the last couple of seasons last year I understand his dad was very ill and then he lost his dad which is you know is obviously going to have a a huge impact on him and has had a huge impact on him in terms of uh, his his general well-being and and perhaps his ability to be able to to, to play football um, which which can't be underestimated you know I I haven't been through that myself you know Kev I know you you have Mm. but it's not something I even want to think about so I can't imagine the sort of difficulty he would have been through in in his personal life and that would naturally bled over to that so I think um, he goes with everyone's well wishes Christian Benteke also like Kev you mentioned scored I think 17 goals in his Mm. first season for the club Um, Albeit, you know, didn't have a, a great return in the in the in the the following years, but has always been a, an integral part of the squad. You know, had that little run in the last season, especially where he, he, he hit a purple patch. Um, but he offers so much more to the team than, than, than just that. So, you know, in terms of bringing others into play, and I think he's he's a very important part of that. So, two players that you know, we, we're, we're along with Matthew, as you say, Martin Kelly, who, who is going to be leaving, leaving, is a very important squad depth player, I think, for the club. Um, so three areas that are vital there for us to, to look at in terms of centre forward, uh, defensive midfield, and, and, and centre back. I think I think I understand Palace are looking at Czech Decore in terms of a uh, uh, Luka Milivojevic a replacement. Centre back, you'd hope that they go for a younger centre back, someone who look. Obviously, we might go to three at the back next season. That, that's yet to be seen, but if not, their opportunities are going to be limited with uh, Gay and Anderson in front of them. Um, and this not forget we've got Luke Plans yet to come back from Derby, someone who we bought um, in, in January and immediately loaned back to Derby. He's done very well at Derby in a struggling Derby team. Um, and, and I can't wait to see how he performs. So I'm not going to say he's a Christian Benteke replacement. Palace probably needs to go into the market there. But, I mean, look, Kev, how nice would it be if you can go into the market and, and pick out a 14-goal 14, 14 Premier League striker? It doesn't happen, does it? Palace have, Palace have got to try their, try their luck with the youngers like, like Luke Plunger. This is, well, this is kind of what I was going with the question I asked Kev earlier, which is, you know, we, we're not going to go and buy a proven Premier League striker, are we? We're going to buy someone from Europe, like the Sorlots, like the Potatoes, or we take a gamble, like the Elise Sags. And just looking at the sort of championship top goal scorers, there's 10 players who've scored plus of 15 goals, right? Yep. Now, yes, of course, the Premier League's a different ball game, uh, and a couple of those going up. So Mitrovic with his 43 goals, Unbelievable. Uh, Solanke with 29 going up to Premier League. You've got players for Bristol City, Swansea, Blackburn who are not going up. You know, might Palace take a gamble with them? The one I'm interested in is the um, the lad whose dad plays for Forest, Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Now, he's you know he's got a bit of everything, right? He's got the bite, he's got the drive, he's got the goal scoring, he's got the creativity. I think he's had ten or so assists as well. 
should Palace be looking at those sort of people as well? Yeah. You know, to give them a go and see what they could what they could do in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great call, Matt. I, I think obviously a lot of it will hinge on this weekend. Obviously, Forrester in the playoff final against Huddersfield, and uh, you know, let's be honest. And this is no disrespect to Huddersfield. It would be great to see Forrest back in the Premier League. Um, I think we all know what happened last week, which was incredibly disappointing for what was an incredible game. Nottingham Forest against Sheffield United last week at the City Ground was one of the best playoff games I've seen for a long time. It really was an outstanding game and unfortunately marred by the incident at the end to, to Billy Sharp. Um, but you, you, you're right, I think um, you know David Johnson was a very good player. And now we've got Eddie Grant coming on, I can't believe it. We've got Eddie Grant come on in the pub. This is unbelievable. For listeners, Kev is, is on the table dancing. Right on now. the table dancing, yeah. He's doing a bit of reggae. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be good if if uh, Forrest don't go up. I think, obviously, if Forrest go up, they obviously keep him. But you're right. He's a player, though, right? And the one thing I would say, if I may, Matt, um, Doogie Friedman has been outstanding, I think, in his recruitment over the last few years and gone about his business very quietly and, and, and has picked up some real gems for us. Um, can I, if I may, just jump in quickly? We talked about positions um, and I mentioned the name earlier. Can I just throw out Aaron Wambasaka? Do you, any of you have a thought in relation to, I know I'm, I might be taking us off topic slightly, but in light of the fact of how well Nathaniel Klein has done and Joel Ward, who's been a phenomenal servant to this club, 10 years, is it, is it testimonial year next year? I think it is, absolutely brilliant. But is there an opportunity to get Wambasaka for a small price to come back and do almost as similar to what Wilf did? Wilf went to United on big money. Yes, we know he was signed by Sir Alex and then he never got the chance and played two games for United in the Premier League. But is there an opportunity with Wambasaka having played most of last season to come back to Palace as a possible replacement for either of those guys in a scenario where he knows what the club's about? The answer is yes, Kevin, of course, because the thing that Ward and Klein have got against them is the numbers and the clock, right? And they're not, they're not old in the age sense, but into the football sense, they're getting on, aren't they? Uh, Ward obviously ahead of Klein in that respect, but yeah, I can see it happening. I really can see it happening. I mean, look, they're not going to pay anything like the £50 million they got for him. But I could see, I what could see him in a goer. What would you pay for him? 15, 20? Yeah. If you got it for 20 million, would you take it, Luke? If you were offered Wambasaka for 20 million quid, would you yeah. take him? Well, I don't think Palace would. You don't think they would? I honestly don't think Palace would. I think because, I think Nathaniel Klein gets a new contract and he needs he, to stay on. I think Joel Ward's obviously got another year left and he's got his testimonial. I don't think this summer Palace will, will pay 20 million pounds for a right back. Okay. I really don't. I, I, I'd love to see him back at the club. I don't think Palace will play that, that sort of money for him. Okay. I, I think more likely is that he comes back on a loan. But then, I, I don't know that he'd... Look at it from Aaron Rampasaka's point of view. You've gone to Man United, you've got your dream move, right? Biggest, arguably one of the biggest clubs in the world at the time. Are you then want to go back to Crystal Palace? where you might not play week in week out because Nathaniel Klein and Joel Ward are potentially headed in the pecking order the thing is though bro if they're going to go to win backs and Klein and Ward are like early 30s aren't yeah, they yeah. both of them point. the likes of Wan-Bissaka are going to have the legs to play that sort of position if they're going to have three at the back win backs so I think it does depend a lot on where Vieira wants to take it yeah. and as we've seen 
Wolves can quite come to play a centre back as he played on on the weekend. Is right? he the Martin Kelly replacement? Yeah, mate, that's the thing. Maybe, right? So they, they, they may be logic to all of this. I just, I, so I, to Kev's question, I think they could do it. I could see it happening. I could also see a loan, yes. But at the end, end of the day, I could see him coming back in whatever version. Would you want him back? If you yeah. got the chance? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How good is no. it for us? Oh, it was fantastic. Um, so what's gone wrong for Wan-Bissaka? Has it been... He's been a victim for Man United capitulation, hasn't he? It, it, it's a, a, a huge club, which is... As I was saying, under Solskjaer, sorry to cut in, I saw the stats last week when they said that he wasn't in... Is it Van Targ's plans? Under Solskjaer, he played 93% of the games. Under the new guy, he's played about 30% of the games. Uh, or Ranić, whatever it was. So, and, and obviously he's made a decision already, whether it be on Zoom or whatever, that he doesn't fit with his plan, which surprises me because for us he was phenomenal wasn't it in those 47 or so games he played yeah, for us he was outstanding so Kev you were saying he's a signing to make yeah Palace, Palace um, comes the money I think if he's available at sensible money I think we should consider it uh, and, and that's more as a replacement for the likes of Joel and Nathaniel who let's be honest have been brilliant it's not about wanting to out them it's just about succession planning really for me and, and why would you not come back I mean look at what Will's done when he's come back I know he was loaned back to us initially but, you know, Crystal Palace are a club that nurture and love. No disrespect, you go to Man United on 47 million or 50 million quid, whatever they paid for him, they're not going to put their arm around you, which they know was the issue with Wilf. You know, if Wilford, I, I honestly believe if Sir Alex Ferguson had stayed Man United manager, I honestly think Wilf would have been a success up there. I really do. But the minute he went up there, you know, you've got David Moyes coming in, He's got a stamp, he's authority on it. He wasn't a David Moyes signing, and therefore, he, he never felt the love for Wilf. Whereas, and, and I don't quite know, obviously, the situation with Wambas. Was it two seasons ago? Two seasons ago he went, and, and his first season, I know a lot of Man United fans who said he was, he was outstanding. He was outstanding in his first season. So, you know, we know he got a little bit, I think, he got a little bit out of his tree, didn't he, with certain things and possibly got himself in a few scrapes away from football. So come home to somewhere where you know you're loved, respected, and as you talked about earlier, Matt, if you give everything, Palace fans will give you everything. It's the Palace Academy dream, isn't it? Like Palace have always loved Academy players coming through. Every, I mean, look, every club loves it. The Academy players coming through and, and pulling on the shirt and seeing them do well. And 50 million pounds is still the highest transfer fee that Palace have ever received for a player. I still think Michael Lise is going to beat that next summer. If I was a better man, which I'm not really, you know, 50p here and there, um, I think Michael Lise. He win 110 quid that day after the Arsenal game. That was a £5 free bet, Kev. Oh, was it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think Michael Lise next summer might beat that. But yeah, look, if he was available at a fee that Palace could afford, I just don't see Palace going spending £20 million on a right back when they don't desperately need one, if I'm honest. I think that Nathaniel Klein can sign for another season and that will do Palace. Um, for the next foreseeable if I'm honest but um, I'd love to have him back good stuff so lots of potential problems for Palace but nice problems to have I don't know if there's any big glaring areas that we said earlier is there earlier. anything that worries you Matt if you don't mind me asking is there anything that worries you going into the new season does it worry you that we might do a Stoke I was very fortunate as you boys know to be at Stoke City my daughter played in a final a few weeks ago and I was on the touchline as a coach and I looked around the infrastructure at Stoke and everything and thought they had 10 seasons and then 
the wheels came off and, and it you know it hasn't come off well so I'm not saying it because it was Stoke but is it is there anything that worries you about next season going into next season is, is there a risk that Palace can be complacent going into next season I don't think so because I don't think Parish will allow that from the view um, not that it worries me Kev but I think it's a possibility the manager will go do you? to Arsenal do you? I can see yeah. that happening I see, if they change their manager I can see him go in there Okay. He's, yeah, the, he's, the, he's the next. Or Man City? Likely, but no. Pep likes him, doesn't he? But Pep likes him, though, doesn't he? No, he'll go to the system, No, he's going to want to go to a top yeah. job next off. And I think, I think oh, the Arsenal job. The Arsenal job. I think it's a matter of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a matter of time before he goes to Arsenal. I think, yeah, the, the, the risk is that he goes to Arsenal sooner rather than later. Okay. Um, and then, like we found in the summer, where do we go next? Okay, yeah. um, that'd be the one thing I think that is likely to happen yes, but, but look you know let's, let's hope that doesn't happen for some time and that we you know, get to build on from here because you know from us Palace fans it's been a relatively um, boring mid-table mediocrity season in that respect which is what we, we cup run. That's what we said though, is it? we always said this we want a cup run and we want mid-table mediocrity so if that happens again next year I think it will be happy won't we yeah absolutely so look, thanks to everyone for getting in touch, as Luke said earlier. Oh, you ain't done AOB. You ain't done AOB. <laughs> also AOB, Kev. Any other business? We were going to talk about the top goal yeah, in the Premier League. That's what it means, Kev. What's that mean? You spelled AOB for me. We've got another definition. Go on, then. Go on. Why are you going, Kev? What's your AOB, Kev? Why AOB? I thought we were going to talk about the top Palace goal scored. Because there, there was a poll a few weeks ago on the Palace saying, which would you vote as the best Palace goal ever scored in the Premier League? Right. Premier League um, history we're talking about, so 1992 yeah, onwards. Yeah, Premier right. League history, and I just... Uh, what I just want, In fairness, I went for Andros's goal up at Man City, um, that wonder strike which should have won goal of the season that year, because Man City, I know we beat them this season just gone, but they were phenomenal that year, and we went up there in December, December the 22nd, I think it was, don't quote me, um, but I think it was December the 22nd, and... We were 3-1 up and they scored in the last minute to make it 3-2 but we, we were comfortable and Andros scored an absolute wonder goal and I think, I, I might be wrong, but I think we went 1-0 down in that game and we went 3-1 up and there were, it, not happen, often it happens but I've, I don't think you'll ever see a crisper strike in a goal. So, so for me, I know the, um, I think it was a Palace website or whatever did, yeah. listed all the goals and you had to select, but for me that was the one. So that that was me, mate. Sorry, mate. You've got me thinking here, Kev, and, and I agree with you in terms of obviously the quality of the strike. It was outstanding. I think um, I'm trying to think of games, goals that I've seen in person because obviously I wasn't fortunate enough to be in, in Manchester. Neither was I, mate. Um, so I really can't look past Jordan Ayew against West Ham, West Ham. Oh, um, boxing, box, boxing Day boxing was it was Boxing Day minute. that maintains to, that it's, it's the best technical goal best technically brilliant goal that I've seen in person the close control the, the shift of body weight the manipulation of the ball the dink at the end everything about it was it, it, if that was a if that was dessert it would be a tiramisu with Double cream. It was. It would be. I mean, you would. You would. You would demolish that pudding. You know what I mean? It, it, it would be like Kevin a packet of crisps, but like times ten. It was. It was a delicious goal. Um, I know. I don't believe when you said that. I thought you said the Ambrose away at Man United goal. Wasn't oh, League Cup? Wasn't Premier League? league. Cup, if, 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 if you're doing yeah, cup goals, right. I'm, I'll give. I'll, I'll give you Chris, Chris Armstrong away at Wolves in the FA Cup. 
yeah. hitting the stanchion and hitting Darren it up Pitcher. there. Uh, Darren Pitcher, Forward. rattling it. Yeah. RIP Darren Pitcher. Yeah. Yes, of course. Um, go on, Rob. Premier League. I can, I can see his little, his little cogs whirring. So no, no, I wasn't here for this one, but it looked a bloody good goal on telly. It's, it's probably our first goal. All right. Probably our first goal of the Premier League was Gareth Southgate. Uh, home sellers part 1902 Blackburn 3 all game Shearer scored two. yeah yeah do you know Gareth Southgate's goal that day that was a banging goal that was a banging goal so that one um, on your in person one bruv come on the one that you, you was, you've seen from the homes down you've gone absolutely mental I quite like Kabaya's goal against Arsenal because it looped up over the top and, and it, I kind of half felt he meant it as well being the player he was, that's probably one of mine up there. Um, see, I, I, like, I like to put the championship goals, likes of Jermaine Easter and Glenn Murray and stuff. I like Sean Scannell against Coventry. Was that the lob? No, that was Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield, no, Sheffield United. Sheffield, United. Sheffield, no, Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield United. That was Sheffield United at home. Yeah, and the Sheffield Battle Boys. Sure Sheffield Wednesday. Right, go on. Right, right. Sheffield Wednesday away, obviously, the Ambrose Scannell goal, obviously. A Premier League goal, pro- probably that one, the Kabai Arsenal goal. Um, but on telly, Kev's right, Townsend goal. Beats anything ever. And what about goals we've conceded? I mean, can you believe that in the space of about, I think it was about three weeks, we conceded that goal from Giroud at Arsenal away with a back heel, and then Andy Carroll scored one for West Ham as well. You went to that game, didn't you? I mean, he scored an absolute worldie, and Giroud had scored one a few... It was only about a week or so before, wasn't it? Two unbelievable goals we conceded. They must be the best I've seen scored against us. So, again, I'm going to... Oh, no, the best one actually was Fulham away. Fulham, when Fulham come and... Fulham at home, that's what I was going to say, that Kasami one, yeah. Holloway left the following day. So there was... Jesus, yeah, that was an unbelievable goal. We should have been 3-0 up in that game before they even scored. I think for me, Kev, in terms of goals that I've seen in person, there's that one. I mean, there was a Steve Sidwell uh, free kick in that game as well, but then then that one that was from the the byline, that was exceptional. Probably one that comes close was Deli Alley at home, where he'd done Scott Dan, and and, and I still think he got a slight deflection, but it was a a fantastic finish. I mean, there's there's been a few in my time. I can always remember applauding a Patrick Clivert goal um, in 2004, 2005. It's December 2004 when Newcastle came and the ball was squared from Craig Bellamy to Patrick Clivert scored a, I think it was like a Johnny Calco esque back heel sort of thing. It was it was it was out, it was outstanding. Um, Ralph, come on, help me out here. What, what have you got in terms of goals we can see? We don't concede goals. Jules, Jules would save them all, mate. <laughs> Whatever you put in front of Jules to save it. Um, oh, Premier know. League. As well. Premier League as well, yeah. Um, Tough one, isn't it? It is. I, for some reason, I want to say there's a Chelsea goal that was going to stand for Bridge. I can't remember what it was. Lampard's got a few good ones against us. Yeah, from lucky distance. From distance, goals. yeah, lucky goals. All lucky. <laughs> when, when Gab or Kiro wore shorts that one time. Yeah. When, when, when Jules got done by Kevin Campbell well, I don't know I'm, I'm not going to get into this one this is not uh, one for me um, look guys what a season what a season um, we've had a great chat we've had a few beers Kev's had about 50 tonnes of crisps <laughs> I did carry a map here tonight but look listeners I hope you enjoyed it as much as we have as always Instagram and Twitter at Six Pointer Podcast uh, please keep subscribing please keep commenting please keep getting in touch thanks to everyone who does 
the next pod we do, we're going to read some of out because we're always terrible. We always say thank you to everyone for for mentioning them, but we never actually shout them out. So I, I, I must say, I'm, I'm planning on doing a Danish pod, obviously, at the weekends because I'm going out to SPS final game of the season on Saturday. So for our Danish listeners, we're on for that. Um, you know, perhaps won't be as upbeat as this one, but um, no doubt you'll enjoy it nonetheless. Somewhere I've all your favourites always on there, Jan and Anders and Klaus and all the crew. Will it be Chris? That is the question. Hot, hot, ah, hot dogs instead. Hot dogs instead. I feel as I'm getting some harsh press here over the crisps. I'm not the only one who ate the crisps. Yeah, most of them, Kev. Most, most, most of them. Yeah, that's harsh. But I ain't had any tea, so you know that's really harsh. And I've come up to your neck of the woods, boys, to do this pod. I've got to get back on a train. You know the rules. Kev's having a cup of later. Right. As we hear about Kev's diet, <laughs> we're going to sign off tonight. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Take care. Look after yourselves. And as always, up, up the palace. Up the palace. Up to palace. The Six Pointer Podcast. Oh, 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 oh,